I want to begin this morning by telling you about the uh, seven ages of the married cold. Some of you may have heard this before. Um, I know it's a favorite in our family. Seven ages of the married cold. The first year after marriage, a wife gets a cold and the husband says, Sugar dumpling, I'm worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle and there's no telling about these things, all that strep going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food's lousy, but I'll bring your meals in from Lino's. I've already got it all arranged with the floor superintendent. Second year of marriage. Wife catches a cold. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough and I've called Doc Robine to rush over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl, please, just for Papa. Third year, wife catches a cold. Husband says, maybe you'd better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel when you feel punk. I'll put you. I'll bring you something to eat. Have we got any soup? Fourth year. Look, dear, be sensible. After you feed the kids and get the dishes washed, you'd better hit the sack. Fifth year, why don't you get yourself a couple of aspirin? Sixth year, if you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal. Seventh year, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing. What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? The seven stages of the married cold. Well, what a great picture of marriage it is. What once we... Held is precious, so over time we easily begin to take our marriage for granted in our homes. Well, my message this morning is addressed to you men. It's addressed to men who want to gain back right from seven and want to go back to that first year of marriage again. That's my heart for all of you men. Because really that's where we ought to be. We ought to be in the first year of the married cold. Well, open your Bibles if you haven't already to 1 Peter chapter 3. For the past three weeks, we've looked at verses 1 through 6, in which Peter addresses the women in the scattered churches of Asia Minor. He instructs them as how it is they ought to live. They need to submit to their husbands, seek their inner beauty, and hope in God. Well, this morning, men, your time has come. Chapter 3, verse 7. Peter's going to turn his attention directly upon you. Now, Before we read this verse, you probably notice something doesn't quite seem right here. Peter spent six verses on the wives and he's only spent one verse on you. Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe it's because I don't need so much instruction as my wife does. Uh, That's not the case, all right? That's not the case. If anything, probably the opposite is true. Men have plenty to learn about marriage. In fact, as I was preparing my message, uh, one of the things I did was listen to another pastor preach on First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And, and he said, <clears throat> in the process of his preparation of the message, he said, I wanted to entitle my message this morning, I am a knucklehead. That's what he wanted to do. He didn't, but I can relate to him because I am a, a knucklehead and I need to learn much. So the brevity of these words here is not a reflection upon men or our lack of need. Rather, I think in a humorous type of way, it's a reflection upon the differences between men and women. You know, men and women are, are different. There's, there's a book out, I've not read, I don't know anything about it, but you know, it says men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right? You've all heard of it. It just says, you know what, we're, we're just different. And uh, women, in general, like to talk about the issues. They want to analyze them, they want to feel them, have them illustrated. And so for women, the process to arriving at a solution to any problem is every bit as important as the solution itself. But men, you're different, right? We're problem solvers and we want to solve our problem. We like to hear the problem presented, quickly figure it out and get to the solution right away. Well, that's what Peter does. He says, here it is, bottom line, here it is for you men. In just one short verse, he instructs us how to conduct ourselves in marriage. He says this, 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. 
Now, before we get to our outline this morning, we need to remind ourselves once again of the context because Peter does here. He says, in the same way. You say, well, in what way? Well, it really takes us back to chapter 2, verse 11, where Peter makes a transition in his letter. First, he talked about salvation and who we are in Christ and a lot of uh, ways talking about the church and being united and things like that. And, and then he comes down and he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, right? And live differently in this world. As a Christian, you're to live differently. Servants, chapter 2, verse 13, right? Live differently by submitting to the authorities, right? Not speaking bad of them, not rebelling against them, but being a model citizen. It says, servants, be submissive to your masters, right? Servants, work people, right? Serve your masters, serve your bosses, and then it speaks about Christ. Christ is our example who submitted himself and he served at great sacrifice to himself. Wives, submit to your husbands. And so likewise, husbands in the same way, right? Now, he doesn't say to submit here. I don't think you're supposed to submit to your wives. But there is a sense here where you're to be humbly servant of your wife. You are supposed to be sensitive to that. You're not to, you know, rule it over. Rather, you're supposed to act appropriately in the same way I think that's what we're talking about here. Give up your own wants for your wife's wants because that's all that verse 7 is speaking about. Well, my message has two points that come right from the text. My first point is this. Husbands, know your wife. Know your wife. I get that from this first phrase. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman. The Old King James is actually my favorite translation here because I think it's the best. It says this. It's the most literal. It says, Ye husbands, right, good King James, Ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. And I like this translation for two reasons. First of all, is this word dwell. The New American Standard translates it live. I think other translations might say dwell. That's a, that's a better a better understanding of this word because Peter's not just really saying live with your wives in the sense that you keep the same dress, you address, you take your meals together and you sleep in the same bed. Peter's not, not saying that. The idea with this word soon oikeo, oikeo, to, to house with, soon, to be with, to be joined together, be one in the household, to really live with your wives. The idea is here that we're to be with them and spend time with them and culture and nurture a home with harmony and goodwill, right? Intimately dwelling with our wives. So rather than live with your wives in an understanding way, I think dwell with your wives is better. And then the King James says, according to knowledge, kata gnosin. It's a Greek text, kata according to gnosin, knowledge. Peter's saying that we husbands ought to know all about our wives. We need to dwell with them in knowledge. We need to know about our wives physically and spiritually and emotionally and intimately and personally. With all that knowledge we gain about her, we need to then live appropriately. And that's where the New American Standard, I think, redeems itself. It says, live with her in an understanding way. I think that's a good idea, a good perspective, right? Take all this knowledge with you and live with her in a in an understanding way. According to everything you know, and the implication of that is that it speaks about a heart of compassion that a husband ought to have for his wife. A heart of tender care and mercy that he ought to show to his wife. And so I think that Peter was right with that and in many ways nails it. I'm sorry, Peter was of course right, but the New American Standard Translation is, is exactly right with that. Live with her in an understanding way. And I think that's the heart of what Peter's saying here. And that's why my exhortation to all you men is to know your wife. The implication is this. You need to know her and then knowing her dwell appropriately with her. Because there are inappropriate ways to dwell with your wife, right? There might be a way that's appropriate for a couple of guys to live together in a college dorm room. You start imagining that, right? And um, smelling the smells and... And uh, listening to the sounds is a little bit different than dwelling with your wife in an appropriate way. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying you're in a marriage, in a home. You dwell with your wife in an appropriate way. Well, under this heading, I have three sub-points. First, you need to know your wife physically. Men, know your wife physically. In fact, that's what Peter addresses here. 
It says, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Well, it's not true in every instance. For the most part, women are smaller than men. There are instances in marriages where a wife is taller than a husband, though that's rare. And maybe there are more instances where a wife weighs more than a husband. Um, I could tell you a funny story about that. Maybe I will. <laughs> it just came to mind. Um, my wife and I, we chart our weight generally. And, um, you know, I, I need to lose a few pounds. And uh, I, was, I was losing some pounds. And I was going like this. But, you know, about a year ago she was pregnant. And she was going like this. And I kept getting here that we're gonna we're gonna meet and she's gonna pass me someday. But but we didn't. I just I blew it. I blew it. She went over weight where I've been under. But I I totally blew it. That's neither here nor there. But that is an instance where sometimes a wife weighs more than a husband. It's hard for the wife. Maybe husbands eat more. That's the case. I'm not sure. But in every instance, though, a husband is probably stronger than his wife. Like, like, like for instance, husbands think now, if you have an arm wrestling contest with your wife, who's going to win? Men, I hope you win. And men, if you don't win, you know what? I'll buy a three-month subscription to the Gold's Gym or whatever the most recent gym is. You need to buff up, men, if your wife can beat you. Because you have every advantage over your wife. Did you know that in general, men are 40% muscle and 15% fat? Now, for some of you men, that's a little bit different proportions. But in general, 40% muscle and 15% fat. Whereas women are generally 25% muscle and 25% fat. You have every reason. Your arms are longer. Your shoulders are wider than your wife's arms and shoulders. And pound for pound, you are two to three times more powerful than she is. You have every reason to beat her in an arm wrestling match. And you need to live with your wife according to this knowledge. Know these sorts of things. You need to know her weaknesses and your frailties and live in light of that. But notice, I need to point out how Peter puts this. You are weaker. She is weaker. He didn't say that you are strong and she is weak. She said that she is weaker. It implies what? It implies, men, that you are weak. But she is weaker. In the grand scheme of things, we all are, are weak. It's not a bad thing. Scripture is abundantly clear that God looks with favor upon the weak. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5. God shows the weak and the despised. 1 Corinthians 1. The weaker members of our body are necessary. And God chose the poor in this world to be rich in faith. So it's not a bad thing to be weak. As Douglas Wilson very rightly said, the weakness Peter mentions is God's design not her fault. It's not a fault at all. Weakness is only a fault if it falls short of the design. A china cup is weaker than a five-pound sledge, but a hammer is no good at all for drinking tea. And you know what, men? God has designed our women to be this. Is, is weakness um, a defect? I don't think so. And God has designed us to be this. <clears throat> this is who we are, man. We're the sledge, right? I just put that there. And you need to understand her physical weakness. Don't crush her. Don't crush her, men. How many men there have been who have crushed their wives physically? Like Tamar forced Amnon to lie with her because he was stronger, as it says in 2 Samuel 13, 14. They've crushed their wives verbally, constantly tearing them down, tearing them down, crushing them. Man, these things ought not to be. Don't use your strength to crush your wife. Use it to protect your wife. That's why you're given to your wife. Don't put her in a place of danger. Don't walk her down dark alleys at night. When danger comes, hold her and shield her from the danger. When, when a noise takes place, you're sleeping at night, there's a noise, your wife says, oh, there's a noise. Don't say, well, go check it out. 
You get up. You get out of bed and you go check it out because she's the weaker one. You're there to protect and provide for her wife. Right? In other words, use your strength for her good and not for her bad. These things are biblical. When you look at the Bible for roles and responsibilities of a man, it's to provide and protect for a wife. Really leads to my sub, second point, sub point number two. Not only you need to know your wife physically, you also need to know her biblically. Husbands, you need to know what your wife is called to be and to do. And when you know and understand what God has called her to be and do, you then can help her to be like that, right? I mean, I think about these past three weeks. It's been a good primer for you men to understand the God-ordained role for wives. I mean, we can easily look at verses 1 through 6 and just kind of cast it upon our wives. But you know what? We need to learn from verses 1 through 6, discern it according to knowledge biblically, and then help her in those ways. Verses 1 and 2, we learn that a wife is called to submit to her husband. So husbands know that, that God calls a wife to submit. But don't take your sledgehammer out and say, all right, let's submit to me, man. Whoa. You know, don't do that. Rather, no, okay, she needs to submit to me. Let me make it easy. So be the sort of husband that a wife willingly wants to submit to. That's what it means. Be a loving and gracious husband. Speak long and often about your appreciation to her for the way she serves in the household. So as she, as she submits to you and, and serves you, you compliment her and you help her and you build her up. It's the kind of man it, it, it makes who wants to have a wife submit to him more. Verses 3 and 4. She's called to seek her internal beauty, not her external beauty. God calls her to prioritize a gentle and quiet spirit over her physical beauty. So make it your aim to help her in this process. Be satisfied with her natural appearance. Don't force her to be in the bathroom for an hour every day to make her pretty so that you like looking at her. You are just forcing her to, to cultivate an outer beauty rather than inner beauty. Rather, help her cultivate an inner beauty. Tell her she's beautiful the way she is. Don't compel her to spend much time and money making herself beautiful to satisfy your eyes. You're just working against everything that verses 3 and 4 says. But commend her as she grows in gentleness and quietness. Help her along and give her no reason to be loud and harsh. Oftentimes, though, men can take out the sledgehammer and a woman feels like she's got to fight back. But if you're on her side and you help her, she can be gentle and, and follow along. Verses 5 and 6, we learn she's called the hope in God. So husbands, hope with, help her with these things. Throw your lives together. Tell her to hope in God. Help her to hope in God. Show what it means to help her hope in God. Read the Scriptures with her where you can alone find your help. Pray with her. Constantly speak of God's goodness to her. Direct her to hope in God. Right? And, and see, what I'm doing is I'm just taking these admonitions to women and just saying, man, you've got some responsibility here as well to help your wife in those ways. And we go to many other passages to speak about a role of a wife biblically. And husbands, whenever you hear those, yes, they're directed to women. But whenever you hear them, be like, okay, this is what my wife is called to do. I'm hearing that. Now, I'm going to like get behind her and I'm going to help her. Like, for instance, Titus chapter 2 says that older women, and men, all your wives are getting older. That's where they want to be someday, right? That trajectory. Older women, they're to be reverent in their behavior. So men, help your wives to be reverent in their behavior. Never be flippant about God in your home. Never teach her that you don't need to be reverent. Cultivate in your own heart a fear of God so that you might impart that in your wife as well. In Titus chapter 2, we read that she's not to be a malicious gossip. So don't gossip with her. And if you hear her gossip, confront her and help her. Get away from that. When you read a younger woman is supposed to love her husband, help her. Be that kind of husband that she can't help but to love. Titus 2 says she needs to love her children. Work hard to dig into the lives of your children so that they're pleasant. Pleasant children are much easier to love. And disciplined children are pleasant children. So discipline your children, like Ephesians 6.4 6, says. And fathers, right? don't provoke them to act, but bring them up in the discipline and nurture of the Lord. When you read your wife is to be pure, help her. Never expose her to something impure. 
Be careful about the movies you watch. Don't, don't put unpure things in front of our eyes and say, the Bible calls you to be pure. Put pure things in front of our eyes. Put pure thoughts in front of our eyes. Don't use bad language. Don't let her read the smutty romance novels or don't let her watch soap operas. Those are kind of things that will cause her to be impure. But only talk about pure things. And then we go on and on. We can look at Genesis 2. We can look about 1 Timothy 2. We can look at Proverbs 31. We can look at Psalm 127. Well, Psalm 128. And all these things instruct women. Man, I'm just saying, know your wife biblically. Get behind those things and cultivate those things in her wife. That's living according to knowledge. Husbands, know the Bible calls a wife. Know what the Bible calls a wife to be. Know what the Bible calls a woman to be and work hard to help your wife grow in her femininity. That's what you need to do. You need to know your wife physically, know your wife biblically, and know your wife personally. Every woman in this room is different. Every woman is different. You all have different likes and dislikes, different tastes, different skills, different abilities, different backgrounds, different experiences, different sorts of temptations, different personalities. Some like to stay at home. Some want to go out. Some like Chinese food. Some can't stand Chinese food. Some are night owls. Some are early birds. Some like to watch sports, and unfortunately, others don't. (laughs) I'm married to one who doesn't. I know that about my wife. Some of you women are different. I'm quasi-envious, but that's okay. But you know what? I need to be an expert in Yvonne. And if Yvonne doesn't like sports, which is which is okay, she doesn't she just doesn't she's bored with it. She watches for about five minutes and then she's like out of the room. And that's okay. I just need to live with her according to that knowledge that we're not gonna share intimate fellowship together watching the Bears win or something. You know, we're just not gonna do that. But I need to know that. I need to dwell with her according to knowledge. I remember counseling the pastor months before I was married and he said, Steve, the rest of your life I want you, and I encourage you, to make your wife, Yvonne, the object of your study. Get a doctorate in Yvonology. That's what I need to do. And Andy, you need to get a doctorate too. But not a doctorate in Yvonology, a doctorate in Adrianology. And Gordy, you need to get a doctorate in Ruthology. Right? All of you men need to get a doctorate in different things. Right, Doug, you need to get a doctorate in Christology. Right, and John, you need to get a doctorate in Barbiology. <laughs> Ray, you need to get a doctorate in Michelleology. Right, and Kurt, in Dreology. And all of you can think about what kind of doctorate you need to get. Now, how can you get a doctorate in your wife? You know, the only way is to talk with her. It's the only way. You need to communicate with her. You need to ask her questions. Find out what pleases her. Find out what's important to her. Find out what her strengths are, what her weaknesses are. You need to talk. You need to listen. Now, by nature, many of us men, we're not talkers, right? We'd rather communicate in grunts and short sentences. Huh. Yeah. But Peter calls us, I think the implication is to talk with our wives. How can we live with her in an understanding way if we haven't talked to find out what our wife needs and wants? I heard one pastor say that it takes time. Right? You want to improve your golf swing, what do you do? You spend time on the golf course. You want to improve your business, what do you do? You spend time at your business. You want to be an expert in some area of study. You want to, you got to spend time studying and reading. If you want to be an expert in your wife, you got to spend time. Time. One pastor said five minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, one evening a week, one day a month, one weekend a year. That's what he said. It's good. I don't always do that, but it's good. I know I was talking with the Landmans recently. We had dinner at their house Friday night. And uh, Alette, you said that you and Mark, I don't see Mark here, but you said that you guys every morning have your coffee time, right? Sacred time, kids. Kids, you're not involved with this. It's just, it's just us and coffee. And they think and they talk about the day every morning. It's good advice, good counsel, good practice. I commend you in that. Men, 15 minutes a day, evening a week, a day a month, a weekend a year. You say, I don't know what to talk about. Well, let me give you some real practical things. I remember... 
couple years ago, given a short questionnaire. Here are five questions you can ask your wife. Men, get your pens out. If you haven't got your pens out, now's the time. Wake up, get your pens out. Here you go. What does my wife need? Ask her sometime. you got 15 minutes tomorrow morning. Honey, what do you need? What do you need? She might say things like, well, I need food. Okay, I can do that. I can provide. You need shelter. You need sleep. Time with me. Time in the Word. Just what do you need? And then husbands, you're like, you know now. And now you can live with your wives in an understanding way of what she needs. Right? What do you need? What does my wife want? Like, what are her, her dreams and aspirations? What does she want? What are the things you need to purchase for your home that she wants? What, what kind of time do you need to spend with her that she wants? What kind of involvement in her life does she want? What, what, what is she, you need to know, you need to ask her so she can tell you, so that she can be about the business of figuring out what she wants. What's important to your wife? Right? When you put all your, all your things down, what's important to her? Think about my, my own wife. Right? A clean home is important to my wife. Uh, a cluttery home drives her bonkers. And so I need to, I need to make sure to keep home clean and, and clean up. Pick up things for my wife because I know that's important to her. I know a, a well-groomed husband is important to her. I need to keep myself well-groomed. I, I know that... Um, what else? i got a list of several things. Right? I know my spiritual leadership is important to her and work hard at those things. How about fourth question? What can I do to please my wife? Husbands, ask that question your wife sometimes. Wifey, what, what would be, what can I do to please you? Alright? Help around the house and kitchen. Spend time with the kids. <laughs> if you would just spend time with the kids, that would please me. How about, um, stay on top of the finances. How about giving your words of affirmation? You know, it would really please me if you would speak encouraging words to me. Guys, open your mouth if that's what she says. Whatever she says. You, you, if you ask her these questions, your antenna needs to be up and say, boop, boop, boop. this is the will of God for me. What will please my wife? What is my wife telling me if I'm going to live with my life in an understanding way? That is God's will for your life. What she says. What are particular areas of temptation for your wife? Ask her that. That's the fifth one. I don't know. My wife sometimes takes on too much responsibility. She's overwhelmed. Sometimes she's a perfectionist. The house especially. I know that my children, if they're, la- if they're lazy, it's a big temptation to my wife. I know if I have projects and delay them, it's a big temptation to her. These are things I know about my wife. You all will have different things for your wives, but, but be attuned to them. And I say it's a good thing to live with your wife in an understanding way, to understand these things. But you know what? That's only half the puzzle. Half the puzzle is knowing. What's the other half of the puzzle, man? It's about doing. And, and you know what? I am a knucklehead. I've, I've, just, I've just not done it. Let me tell you about one time. It's like a, a mar on our marriage. And um, I, I tell you the story because I know that the um, greatest encouragement is oftentimes to see the faults in others. And this, this is big in our marriage. 1994, Vaughn and I have been married a year and a half. We're signed up to attend a Valentine's Day banquet at, um, at a church we're attending about 45 minutes away from our hometown. I was working in the suburbs at the time, so I was going to get off work and just go and wait for my wife there. She was going to jump on board a car with a, another couple and they're going to drive out and meet us there. So, everything works. In the course of time, I arrived, but she didn't. Where is she? I don't know. This was 1994, okay? Kids, I'm not sure if you can fathom this. This was long before cell phones, all right? We didn't have cell phones. What are we going to do? Well, evening progressed. She still didn't show up. I didn't know why. She didn't make it on time. Others didn't know why. I don't know what happened to them. The only way I could be a part of the solution is to get in my car and drive the route where she would have driven. But that's like looking for a needle in a haystack. But I figured that, you know what, she's good hands with this company. And this, you know, this man and this wife, and this man is very responsible. He, um, you know, just, 
new things are okay. It's stupid me. I just said, I don't know where my wife is. I'll just enjoy my time at the banquet. I got to sit with this pastor. We had a wonderful spiritual conversation. I had a great time. The food was fabulous. Just figured, like, I can't do anything. And, and there, there she was. Well, it turns out the car broke down on I-88. It took him 45 minutes to flag down a car in the sub-zero weather. They had an infant child on friend, child on, on board as well. Finally, they got a ride to a friend, to a nearby town. A friend came and picked him up and brought him home. You know what? It was looking for a needle in a haystack, but the best thing for me to have done was been looking for that needle. And it may not have done any good, but it would have communicated something to my wife. And I came home, and I say, I, I, I blew it. I was not living with my wife in an understanding way, and it was a low point in our marriage. And that night, I wasn't banished to the couch, but I should have been. All right? And, and I'm, I'm, I just know that throughout marriage, there's always issues in your marriage. I'm standing today with some issues that need to be addressed in our, our marriage, and I'm I've talked with Yvonne about them. We've agreed about a course of action, what we need to do, and some of them I've, I've not got done. Now, it's not, man, it, it's not so much that all your projects need to get done. It's that you need to encourage your wife by showing progress in them. And so I, I talked with her on the, the phone. this week. She's in California this week serving her sister who just had a baby. And I said, you know what, Yvonne, it would be good for us to have a conversation about input about how I'm doing as being a, a husband living with you in an understanding way. And So she wrote me an email Friday. It's just a thought. Maybe for personal application of your sermon, you could make a couple strategic phone calls before Sunday if possible. Maybe you already have. I love you. How's that? That came back Friday. So I made some phone calls on Saturday just to start start some things rolling. That's it. The Word has a way of working. I've been convicted my own not living with my wife in an understanding way like I, I need to. When I told Yvonne I made some calls, I made some progress, she's like encouraged because progress is being made. Men, maybe there's some phone calls you need to make. Maybe there's some things that you all need to do to demonstrate where you're going with your marriage. She's dependent upon you. So don't frustrate her by doing nothing. Do something. All right? All right, that's my first point. Husbands, know your wives. Now here we get to the second point. Come straight from the text. Husbands, honor your wife. Husbands, honor your wife. Verse 7, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. The word translated honor here is often translated price or cost. When Judas returned the 30 pieces of silver... To the chief priests, they refused to put it in the treasury because they said, quote unquote, it's the price of blood. That's what honor means. Honor her, show her her value. The early church sacrificed greatly for each other, selling lands and houses. They'd bring the proceeds of the sale and lay them at the apostles' feet who distributed the money, Acts 4.34. The proceeds here, it's the honor, it's the price. That's what First Peter is talking about. It gives you an indication of what this word means. It means we need to place value upon Something or someone. It means when you speak well of something. I mean, that's why this word is often used in relation to God. First Timothy 1.7 Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Be honor. Let's speak highly of God. Revelation 5 of the Christ. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory. Let's speak well of Jesus. Let's speak well of God. So, okay, think about honor. Men, you are called to honor your wife. You're called to value your wife. Let your wife know what she costs. Let her know her precious value to her and speak it out. Howard Warren Wearsby says this, Chivalry may be dead, but every husband must be a knight in shining armor who treats his wife like a princess. The husband should treat his wife like an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase in which is precious treasure. After they get married, many a husband forgets to be kind and gentlemanly and starts taking his wife for granted. He forgets that happiness in a home is made up of many little things, including the small courtesies of life, big resentments, often grow out of small hurts. And I would say, little things done well, opening the door, right? 
helping her on with her coat, taking her responsibility, seating her at the dinner table, all those kind of things build and help in a marriage. That's what it means to honor our wife. But you know, it's more than just being the knight. To honor, it also has not only the, the doing, the showing the value, but it also has to do with the, the letting others know how much you value your wife. Think about it. When you want to honor another person, what do you do? Oftentimes you have honor banquets, high school, sports, athletics, right? You have uh, your winter teams. We're going to have our winter sports honors award night, you know, and you get everybody together and then you parade the, the people up there and get the rewards. If you're going to honor somebody, you want it to be public and let it be known and broadcast it. Let everyone hear it. Proverbs 31, much of the chapter speaks about the virtuous woman. You remember right there at the end what the husband says? Many women, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. And, and the husband says that negates. He proclaims it. He tells it to others. And men, you're called to say these kind of things about your wife. Tell your children, tell your extended family, tell your co-workers. Say, guys, i got a fabulous wife. I can't begin to describe my, my love for her. She's amazing, beautiful. Her love for God abounds. I love the way she cares for her children. She makes our home a palace. She's decorated. She works hard to maintain it. I love being with her. And so when your coworkers at work say, hey, let's go out Friday for a night of bowling, you say, um, I got something more important. I'm going to spend a wonderful evening home with my wife because I love being with her. There's no place I'd rather be. That honors your wife. You might say, well, Steve, it's easy for you. you got a wife like that. I do. Avon is a great servant to me. We've married 15 wonderful years, though we did have a blip this one Valentine's Day 14 years ago. But we've been married 15 wonderful years. And in eternity, it, it will be made known how much I owe to her for everything the Lord has accomplished through me. I owe much to her. I couldn't have asked for a better wife. My heart resonates with the words of Spurgeon who wrote to his wife. It says, My own dear one, none know how grateful I am to God for you. In all I have ever done for Him, you have a large share. For in making me so happy, you have fitted me for service. Not an ounce of power has ever been lost to the good cause through you. I have served the Lord far more and never less for your sweet companionship. The Lord God Almighty bless you now and forever. Probably the greatest preacher ever lived, Charles Spurgeon, speaking those words to his wife. You need to honor your wife. And it's interesting, that's just a sampling of the many letters that Spurgeon wrote to his wife. After his death, she published them. And she said in the process of publishing these letters that Charles had written to her, she said, I've been trying in all these pages to leave the, quote, love out of the letters as much as possible, lest my precious things should appear as platitudes to my readers. But it's a difficult task. For little rills of tenderness run between all the sentences, like the singing, dancing waters among the boulders of a brook, and I cannot still the music altogether. To the end of his beautiful life, it was the same. His letters always were filled with those of a devoted letter as, of, as well of a tender husband. Not only did the brook never dry up, but the stream grew deeper and broader and the rhythm of its song waxed sweeter and stronger. Man, if you have a wonderful wife, say so. Talk about these things. Write, get your pen out. Start writing to them and telling them. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, I don't have that kind of wife. Can I write those things? I say, don't lie. But I tell you what, you need to honor your wife. And Peter gives you no excuse for not honoring your wife. I mean, I think about the last three messages I've spoken on women, verses 1 through 6. Every message I said, now the women are given no out. They need to submit to their husbands. Even if their husbands are disobedient to the word, they still need to submit, right? And I say to you men also here, verse 7 has no exception clause. It says, honor your wife. It doesn't say honor your wife unless she's not very lovely all the time. No, it says honor your wife. This is your call, men. If in the integrity of your heart, you know, you can't say that she excels all other women. Well, there are redeeming qualities in every woman. And so I say start small. I guarantee, though, 
if you start building her up constantly and communicate your, your love to her, you may well get to the day some years from now. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. It's illustrated in the parable I read this week of what took place when a primitive Pacific island where a man paid a dowry for his wife and cows. Two or three cows would buy a decent wife. Four or five, a very nice one. But Johnny Lingo had offered an unheard of eight cows for Sarita, a girl whom everyone in her home village thought rather plain looking. The local folks all made fun of Johnny, who they thought was crazy to pay so much for a wife. But when the teller of the story finally sees Johnny Lingo's wife, she's stunned by her beauty. She asks him how this could be the same woman. How can she be so different? Johnny's reply shows he's nobody's fool. Do you ever think, he asked, what it must mean to a woman to know that her husband has settled on the lowest price for which she can be bought? And later when the women talk, they boast of what their husbands paid for them. One says four cows, maybe another six. And how does she feel, the woman who is sold for only one or two? This could not happen to my Sarita. Then he did this just to make her happy? He said, I wanted Sarita to be happy, yes. But I wanted more than that. You say she's different. This is true. Many things can change a woman. Things that happen inside. Things that happen outside. But the thing that matters most is what she thinks about herself. In Kinwata, Pacific Island, Sarita believed that she was worth nothing. But now she knows she's worth far more than any of the women of the islands. Then you wanted, I wanted to marry Sarita. I loved her and no other woman. But, I was close to my understanding, but he finished softly, I wanted an eight-cow wife. And man, you just start talking and building into your wife and your wife will be an eight-cow wife. One of the things you need to know about Charles Spurgeon's wife is that she was a very sickly woman. In fact, for several years, for years, I I don't know exactly how many, but as I I read Life of Spurgeon, I'm guessing at least five, eight, I'm not sure how many years, she was a total invalid at home all the time. And Charles needed to come in bed almost all the time, maybe get up to sit down, right? But not one who's just home being busy, just physically she couldn't. He would often go off to preach while she remained home alone. She was very sickly. Her whole life, her whole marriage. They had twins early on in their marriage. And then as you read biographies about Spurgeon, there's some kind of surgery or something, some, some problem that she had for the rest of her life after her twins, Thomas and Charles, were born that incapacitated her for much of her life. And yet Charles spoke these words to her. I'm guessing she had a sweet and quiet spirit. Man, honor your wife. I mean, she's a teacup. This is who she is. And how do we honor our teacups? At our house, we have a china cabinet that we separate. Nobody can get to these, especially like our little children, until we use them. But we can see them through the glass, right? We lift them up so we can see them. We only pull them out on special occasions when some special friends come over we're eating from a fine china, we can eat from these nice china cups. We never run them through the dishwasher lest the gold plating around here wear away because of the intense heat. We never let children use them either because children might break them. They won't be careful with them. This is your wife, man. Honor your teacup. Well, why? Why should I honor my wife? Well, it comes here in verse 7. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Two reasons. First is that she's a fellow heir of the grace of life with you. That's what it says there in verse 7. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Husbands, you honor your wives because through the gospel, they will enjoy all the pleasures that you will enjoy as well. They will stand right beside you singing praise to the Lamb that was slain. They'll be right beside you in heaven. 
not a second-class citizen. They are fellow heirs of the grace of life. You don't get double and she gets half. Fellow heirs of the grace of life. Women aren't second-class citizens. They're not to be cast off as servants. And you're not to dishonor your wife in any way. Because a fellow image bearer, she will receive the same inheritance that you will receive. You say, what's that inheritance? Well, chapter 1, verse 4, we spoke about it months ago. Here's your inheritance. It is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's reserved for everyone who has hoped in Christ. That's the future of everything we have to look forward to. This inheritance is never going to go away. It's never going to get dirty. It's never going to diminish in glory. It's going to last on through eternity. And we get to enjoy it together. And we get to enjoy it together right with our wives. In Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. That's not to say your wife's role is the same as yours. We've been talking about roles here the last several weeks, right? A wife is... In her role to submit to a husband. Husbands to lovingly lead his wife. But a woman has every bit as much a share of heaven as a man has. And your role, husbands, is to keep that ever in front of your mind that you might lead your wife in the grace of life. I love what Albert Barnes says about how this has changed society. This is Christianity. How different this is in the world Albert Barnes says, It was an important advance made in society when the Christian religion gave such a direction as this, giving honor unto the wife for everywhere among the heathen and under all false systems of religion, women has been regarded as worthy of little honor or respect. She's been considered as a slave or a mere instrument to gratify the passions of a man. It is one of the elementary doctrines of Christianity, however, that women is to be treated with respect And one of the first of its marked efforts of religion on society is to elevate the wife to a condition in which she is worthy of esteem. Christianity has done much to elevate the female sex. And by the way, I would just say that um, equal rights, people, women, advocates are doing everything they can do to tear that down. Christianity has done much to lift high a wife and a woman. While she's inferior in bodily vigor, she is equal in most important respect. She is a fellow traveler with him to a higher world. And that in every way she's entitled to all the blessings which redemption confers as much as he is. The single truth has done more than all other things combined to elevate the female sex and is all that is needful to raise her from degradation all over the world. They, therefore, who desire the elevation of the female sex, who see women ignorant and degraded in the dark places of the earth, should be the friends of all well-directed efforts to send the gospel to the heathen lands. <laughs> what a good application there. You want, you, are, are you up for women's rights in Nepal? Where they are regarded as dirt and scum many times? Then bring the gospel there and we'll raise the women there to places of honor. Same about China. Say about Russia. Say about every place. You send the gospel there, it's going to have a, a radical impact upon wives. So men, give honor to your wives because they're fellow heirs of the same promise that you've received in Christ. Peter gives here a second reason why we need to honor our wives. So verse 7. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Giving honor to your wife has implications regarding your relationship with the Lord. If you live your life in such a way that you're not living with your wife in an understanding way or you're not showing your wife much honor, your prayers, men, will be hindered. Now, I'm not sure what this means. I mean, it can mean either that they will hinder you from praying or it might mean that your prayers are on the way up but somehow they get clogged before they reach heaven. Or maybe it means that God goes like this, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. I don't know what it means. But somehow it means our prayers won't have an effect. Either they don't get out of your mouth, they don't reach the throne of God. My guess is that both are involved. I mean, think about it. A man who's not sensitive to his wife's needs and wants, not honoring her, not knowing her, not investing time in her, is going to be a self-centered man and is not going to have much desire to cast his cares upon the Lord. I think it will inhibit your own praying. And I think also 
though in the, in the same sense that should you utter prayers, as it says, right, the, the prayers of the wicked are an abomination for the Lord. God will look at them and just say, you're not loving your wife, right? What? Why should I listen to your prayer request? Because God turns away prayers. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, I wanted to come to you more than once, yet Satan hindered us. Maybe that's the case where the prayers never got out, right? He wanted to go, but you know, complications were hindering him from where he was, and he couldn't quite even get out. Whereas in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul told the Galatians, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? There they're going and they're running and the prayers are coming out, but someone hindered them, right? Someone stopped them. Someone pushed them down in the mud so they couldn't obey the truth. I think both those things are probably true. But man, this is what happens when your marriage lacks. Your relationship with your Lord will lack. If things aren't right at home, things won't be right with God. Your prayers will be clogged. Maybe you need to take your plunger out and plunge your prayers. And the plunger is what? Knowledge and honor. Those are two things, man, you need to take hold of. And so, man, I hope you see the seriousness of these things. hope you see how serious it is you need to know your wife and how serious it is you need to honor your wife. Because you want your relationship with God to be right. Well, that's all I have to say to you. Let me now say to the Lord. Let's pray. But I would pray for these men. I pray that you would help them. I, I pray, Lord, a vision for Rock Valley Bible Church that our marriages would be strong, that we would have husbands who would so love their wives and so want to tell it and so want to proclaim it that others, even just for desire to have a good marriage, would be attracted to us in the church. And then as we tell them that it's because of Jesus that we love this way, may that attract them to you. Lord, use use your means, whatever, to accomplish your purposes. But how I long for the marriages here at Rock Valley Bible Church to be all that you call them to be. The last three weeks we've looked at women, and this morning, God, as we've looked at men, I pray that men might come to a point of repentance. Uh, I thank you even yesterday for just just your help in making some progress in the things that are difficult with Avon and I right now. And uh, I pray that, God, you continue to give me strength to others as we sang earlier I'll stand on the promises I'll stand in the grace you give I'll stand when the darkness falls upheld by your right hand I'll stand so God I pray you'd uphold us by your right hand to give us men who will stand in these things God who will lift high women and honor them speak well of them Lord for your glory pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to transition now to the Lord's Supper as we have uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper here every every Sunday here in Lent. Next Sunday, Easter, we won't. Um, but if you're looking for a good Friday service, they will be celebrating the Lord's Supper.